Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Before we get started with today's episode, I just wanted to share a review on Apple Podcasts with you. Sparrow said, awesome content, very helpful information and fun to listen to. Thank you so much, Sparrow, for your comments. Everybody has their own writing quirks and everybody has their process that is unique to them. And it's really important to figure out how you work best and to keep that going. Welcome to Queries, Qualms, and Quirks, the weekly podcast that asks published authors to share their successful query letter and discuss their journey from first spark to day of publication. I am your host, Sarah Nicholas. I hope you're enjoying the podcast and the stories authors are sharing with you. If you are, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Podchaser or share this episode on social media. If you're interested in supporting the show, go to patreon.com slash pubtalklive. Today, we're going to be talking to picture book author Tara Lazar street magic performer, award-winning ice sculptor, hog-calling champion. These are all things Tara Lazar has never been. Instead, she writes stories for children featuring quirky characters and hilarious happenings. Tara writes the 789 series of picture books from Little Brown, illustrated by Ross McDonald. Her next book is Bloop with illustrator Mike Bolt, about an alien who comes to conquer Earth but thinks the dogs are in charge. Please welcome Tara to the show. Hello. Hello. Because, you know, if you think about it, the dogs are in charge. <laughs> like you were just telling me about how your dad makes your, your dogs chicken every night. And every chicken night. time, they go crazy for chicken time. Yeah. So like, you know, your dad isn't making me chicken every night. So I think <laughs> the dogs are really in charge. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, so let's kind of go back to the beginning of your publishing career. When did you start getting interested in writing? And then how long did it take from then before you started getting serious about pursuing publication? Well, it was back in the olden days when I was (laughs) just a young thing in the 1900s. We had just gotten horse-drawn carriages. No, it was a long time ago. It was back in the 70s, which I tell this to some kids at school visits, and they're like, wow, people were alive back then? What? It was when I was in second grade that I really started to enjoy writing. And this is what I tell kids at school visits all the time. I'm like, when you're a kid, adults are always telling you what to do. Your parents are like, go to bed, eat your vegetables. Your teachers are like, do your homework. Turn to page 23. And and then like if you if you play on like a softball team, your coach is like run run a couple of laps or do some push-ups. Who makes kids do push-ups? Anyway, but you know, you get my point. Adults are always telling kids what to do. But I discovered through creative writing that when I was writing, 
There was no one telling me what to do. Everything came from my imagination. I could decide what would happen and no one would tell me that it was wrong. So I started to love creative writing in second grade. I went to my school library. I picked out a book and the book was called She Was Nice to Mice. And it happened to be written by Allie Sheeny, the actress. We know her from the Brat Pack, from the Breakfast Club and St. Elmo's Fire. And at the time, Allie Sheeny was 12 years old. And I'm like eight years old at the time. And I'm like nine, 10, 11, 12, four more years. And I can be an author just like <laughs> she was nice to mice girl. It didn't happen that quickly. <laughs> <laughs> I knew it's what I wanted to do, but I was also very practical. And when I was older, I, I would do anything just to be independent and to take care of myself. So when I was 18 and I went off to college and I left home, I wanted to get a job that would support me. And I knew that writing would not support me, at least not right away. Mm -hmm. So I didn't pursue writing after college because I knew that it wasn't feasible. I wanted to make a living. And I wanted to take care of myself and not have to rely on my parents. So I got a job in high tech, which was weird. But it was the 1990s. And I rode a wave of irrational exuberance through the decade, <laughs> made enough money. Whereas when I got married and had my kids, I could stay home. And because I was at home, I could find time to write in between wiping butts. <laughs> So that's exactly what I did. I really didn't pursue it very seriously until I was pregnant with my second daughter in 2006. And I went to one critique meeting and then they went on hiatus for the summer. Oh, no. And then I had my baby. And then I'm like, well, I'm going to just stay with her for at least a year and not really leave her. So I didn't get back to the critique group until the end of 2007. And that's when I started to take it very seriously. I had this critique group. I was going to SCBWI events in New Jersey. And we had some great events because of our proximity to New York. All the editors and agents had to do was hop on a train and come down to Princeton. And then we'd pick them up at the train station and they'd come to our uh, event. So... I did that, read lots of books about the craft, and I just kept writing and got another critique group. And, and so it was probably a good two and a half years before I had a manuscript that was worthy of submitting to an agent. Now, I had submitted before, but it was all terrible. It was just awful stuff, and nobody wanted me. So I had stopped submitting for a good year to focus on my craft. At the end of that time, I had written The Mom Store. My critique partner, Corey Rosen Schwartz, who happened to be published already, said, oh, Tara, this is your breakthrough manuscript. I know this is it. You should submit this one to agents. And I'm like, eh, get out of here. And it took me a bit of convincing before I finally did. And you know, a few months later, I got my agent and the rest is history. <laughs> or so they say. <laughs> awesome. So 
Do you know how many books you queried before you got your agent? Oh, it wasn't a lot because I was very timid about it. I also just, I think I kind of knew that it just wasn't good enough. And I would take opportunities that came to me, like if there was an editor that I met at a conference and they were open to receiving something, I would send along. It was maybe I, I could count on two hands the number of times I sent stuff out during that time period. I sent something to Cheryl Klein because she was always open. If you wrote octopus on the envelope, I think I remember. So I sent her like a couple of things, but she wasn't interested. And rightly so, because it was all terrible. (laughs) Yeah, so it wasn't a lot. I wasn't like trigger happy. I didn't want to keep sending stuff out. I wanted to really hold back and wait until I developed the right content. Because for me, it was always about like, well, this is a nice story, but is anybody going to really want to buy this story? There was something lacking. And I think that was, you know, my concepts weren't developed well enough. So after I got to the monster, I think I really homed in on what would be considered attractive enough for a mass audience or you know, something that would be sold in bookstores and people would actually want to buy. And I could make 84.7 cents a book. Yay! <laughs> For example. <laughs> <laughs> it's good that you mentioned that. So once you decided you wanted to be published, can you talk a little bit more about how you learned about the publishing industry, like how it works, how to go about it, how to determine the market? Because you, it seems like you were very aware of the market at the time. I worked in marketing. It was high-tech marketing, like I told you, in the 1990s. So I think I was a little bit astute in the ways of the marketing person, although it was it was for a different industry. You know, I went to bookstores a lot, the national chains as well as independent bookstores, and I looked at what was on the shelves. And I looked at what was attractive to kids, what they made a beeline for, what parents made a beeline for. And I started thinking kind of in that direction where it's got to be attractive. It's got to be commercial. And I thought about movies and I thought about all kinds of children's entertainment. And my kids were also little at that point. So I was aware of what they were into. And I kind of bundled all that knowledge together in trying to think about what is going to be attractive to a book buyer and then to a child and then to a parent, to a grandparent. And I started to think in those terms because that's what really gets you published. It's not necessarily writing this perfect story where I see a lot of new writers trying to work on every single little word and tweak this and tweak that. Well, if I just tweak this story a little bit more, it'll sell. No, there are some stories that will never sell because they don't have mass appeal. Mm. I just think, you know, with my marketing background and just having kids at the time and being just immersed in the child world of toys and pottery barn blankets and stuffed animals. And 
I kind of really got a handle on what would be attractive for a book. You mentioned that you got your agent. What happened after that? Can you kind of break down for us your journey from then to signing your first book contract? Well, it was pretty quick. The Mon store sold within weeks of my agent sending it out. Like about, I think it was about a month. It wasn't much longer than that. If anything, I remember the editor had sent my agent an email right away saying, we're really interested in this. Just, just give us a little bit of time so we can, you know, take a look at it more seriously, but we're really interested. And that is the first and last time I've ever gotten an email like that. (laughs) (laughs) The first and last time that any book of mine has been bought within a month. So I think I got really, really spoiled. It happened so quickly. So then, you know, you just assume every book after that is going to be such, you know, and he's, oh, this is easy. I don't know what people are having such a problem with. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, the joke is ultimately on me because my next book wasn't so quick to sell and the book after that wasn't so quick to sell. And I had to revise it four times before she even bought it. and. Yeah, nothing has ever been that quick again. Yeah, I think that's great for writers to hear because they think a lot of times, you know, you get that first book contract and you're like, okay, this is it. This is, I'm golden. Right. But sometimes it's still hard. Oh, no, it's, I think it's as hard now as it ever was for me. I'm just really quirky and weird and try to be funny and... You know, right now, we're not really in that stage of books. I hear everybody say, I want funny books again. I want funny books, but no one's buying my books. What's wrong with you? (laughs) There's a lot of books about kindness and social activism and people of color and women and biographies. And all those books are great, except I don't write any of them. (laughs) (laughs) funny books is still what I write and I I don't think the tide has turned kind of back toward funny again although you hear I've heard it a lot that that editors want funny but it's not been like the past two years for me has been very very quiet it's as hard as it ever was there is no golden ticket basically you think once you get published, you'll never not be published. And that's just not true because every book sells on its own merit. Mm -hmm. Unless maybe you're some like superstar. I don't know. (laughs) But every book really does sell on its own merit. No one's going to publish it just because you have a name or you've been published before. They have to really love that book and believe in that book. You know, it's like starting from square one every single time you send something out. Yeah. And even though your submission process with your agent was pretty quick, it sounds like you did a lot of work leading up to that to improve your craft and study the market. You didn't rush into it with the first book you wrote. So uh, even though it was quick on the agent side, it still took a lot of time to get to that point. Yeah. I mean, my first few 
stories were just like 1500 words, 1200 words. No one's publishing that. And I'd go, oh no, it's not a picture book. It's a picture storybook and someone will publish it. No, no one's going to publish it. It's not only too long, it's just terrible. (laughs) Do you have a query letter to share? I don't. When I sent Joan my manuscript, it was kind of like a cover letter. You know, it was kind of like, you know, this is the monster. Zach goes to a monster to get rid of his little sister, but they end up befriending her and he ends up with too many monsters and he can't return them. Something like that. I mean, it was just like a little synopsis and it was like, I'm a member of SCBWI. Thank you for your time. Bye-bye. People often ask me, because I work at a library where we deal with new writers all the time, about query letters for picture books. And I know that they're different, but I I don't know um, a lot about how to write a query for a picture book. So it sounds like it's just a really short synopsis. Yeah, it's just because the thing is with a picture book, you can send the whole book. They ask you to send it. It's only like three pages. Yeah. You don't really need to write a query to get them to request it. You're just writing a little cover letter, basically. So I don't even call it a query letter. I call it a cover letter. Brief synopsis, what kind of experience you have. And you don't need to have any experience because unlike what I was told, people are like, oh, you need publishing credits before you're published. No, you don't. Mm -mm. It's okay. So you put whatever experience you have. I wrote that I was a member of SCBWI. That's all you needed. And boom, you send it off to them. And let me tell you, I believe the majority of agents don't even look at your so-called query letter with a picture book. The entire text of a picture book is shorter than the query letter for a fantasy novel. (laughs) All right. So you kind of already answered the next question. I usually ask, how has your experience been since signing your contract? And did you have any surprises along the way? Do you have anything that you want to add there? There's been surprises along the way with every book. Different surprises. New and fun experiences. Like your editor magically leaving. And you're given off to another editor. And you just pray that that editor likes your book as much as the acquiring editor did. And then, you know, you don't have an illustrator signed to the project for over a year. The book is being delayed longer because they can't find an illustrator that they really think matches up with the project or who they wanted wasn't available or what have you. Oh, there was a good one with 789. They sold out of the first printing so quickly They hadn't had a second printing set up yet. Oh, wow. So there was a period of time of about a month and a half where you couldn't get the book. You couldn't buy it anywhere because they were printing more, but everything else had sold out. Again, I'm screaming, you know, like, (laughs) these things happen. And you're like, this is not happening. But it does. It happens all the time. These surprises will come up because... The whole process is really long, three, four years to publish a picture book. Mm -hmm. Something is going to happen within that time. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And you have the extra layer of the illustration too. Yeah. So something is going to happen. So you just have to be ready for it. Yeah. I mean, you, you just have to go with the flow, man. Yeah. Just roll with it. 
So this next round is the quick round. I call it author DNA. It's just classification so that we sometimes put writers in. Are you a pantser or a plotter? Pantser! <laughs> that does not surprise me. Was that quick enough? Did I answer it quickly enough? Very nice. <laughs> okay, thank you. <laughs> Do you tend to be an overwriter or an underwriter? Hmm. Well, an underwriter, isn't that a funeral director? What is it? I, <laughs> I think I am right in the middle. I don't, okay. I have learned to get to a point where I can finish a first draft and it's 400 to 500 words, which is just in that sweet spot. So nice. I am a medium writer. You have it down to a science. You know, it does. You practice so much mm -hmm. and you get that manuscript down from 1500 to 1200 to 900 to 800. And now I can really finish a first draft in four to 500 words and ta-da. <laughs> Do you like to write in the morning or at nighttime? Anytime. No. <laughs> <laughs> there is no set time. It is whenever I feel like I'm ready to write the story. I've thought about it enough. I've come up with the general problem and the general solution and the general direction I want to go in. And I'm like, all right, I, I don't want to wait anymore. I want to, I want to start now. But I will say it's typically never in the morning. <laughs> Nice. Because I am a night owl, and if I can sleep in, I do. Me too. Yeah. yeah. When you're starting a new story, do you typically start with a character first, or plot first, or concept, or something else? I usually start with a title first, believe it or not. Oh, wow. Yeah, because I feel like if you get a really good title, that can sell the book itself. Mm-hmm. All of my books have begun with a title, except for the one that's coming out next month. That is the only one. And that started with a concept, but it was kind of a high concept, which is what I try to do with my titles. So, yeah, but it was really hard to come up with a title for that one. I feel like if you come up with a title first, you can be so much more focused in your writing because you have that kind of like you have it in a little box and you're like, okay, the monster, I know where I'm going with this. It's a store where you buy zucchini. I, I, sorry. It's a store where you buy monsters and I can figure that out and, and stay really focused on it. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that makes it so much easier when you're writing a story to be, especially a picture book, to be really, really focused. And the title helps me do that. So a lot of my ideas come from titles first. Yeah, I can definitely see how that would work really well in picture books. Do you prefer coffee or tea? <gasps> oh, my goodness. What a great question. <laughs> well, you know how I feel about coffee. No. Oh, it's just disgusting oh no oh, how can you people drink that oh so how do you feel about tea i love tea tea is my favorite thing if i could meet with the queen and we'd have tea and crumpets it'd be lovely i love tea i especially love old gray tea but i love all kinds of tea whenever you're writing do you prefer silence or some kind of sound i prefer silence I can't play music because I am very attuned to the lyrics. 
I know some people listen to music and they just like the beat, they like the melody, what have you. I am very attuned to lyrics. So if I'm listening to music with lyrics, I will begin singing along in my head and I can't get those words out of my head and think of words that I want to write. So when it comes to the first draft, are you more of a get it down kind of person or get it right kind of person? I'm get it down because I think that that's the most important part. You can always revise it if it's not a hundred percent, if you need to have another beat or two, a story beat in there. You can always add it. You could always take story beats away. I like to get it down because then I'm not staring at a blank page anymore. Mm -hmm. And the blank page, I think, is daunting. Whereas when you have something to work with, you have something to work with. (laughs) Boy, that's a quote I should put on a refrigerator magnet. Boy, that's brilliant. It sounds like a Yogi Berra quote, right? (laughs) It's not over until it's over. What tools or software do you use to draft? I just use Microsoft Word. Yeah, I don't use any special tools. I know some people have figured out a way to write picture books in Scrivener. Good for them. I don't want to learn another application. (laughs) (laughs) Microsoft Word does the job for me. Do you prefer drafting or revising more? Oh, so difficult. You know, from my previous answer, you would assume that I would like revising more. Yeah. Yeah, but you know... I think drafting the first draft is also pretty exciting because you've gotten this idea, this concept in your head, and it's finally getting onto the paper. And I say finally because I think about an idea for weeks or months before I ever start to write it because I want to get a lot of the details correct in my head. I want my subconscious to work on it too. I think it tilts a little toward revising because I can have more fun with the language because I've gotten it down during the draft and now I can take a sentence and change it and imbue it with better language, something that's more fun to say, something that's funnier, something that trips up the tongue, that sounds good when you say it aloud. I don't know if this works for picture books or not, but do you write in sequential order or do you hop around? Ah, I can hop around Hmm. because sometimes I will think of the perfect ending Hmm. like I did with the monster and then I will back into it. With Little Red Gliding Hood, interestingly enough, I wrote it from the middle and then went to the beginning and then went back to the middle and went to the end because... I really thought it would be funny since the wolf is both in Little Red Riding Hood and in the Three Little Pigs. If Little Red Gliding Hood went to the Three Pigs doors and knocked on it and said, Little Pigs, Little Pigs, let me in. (laughs) And then the wolf taps her on the shoulder and says, excuse me, I think that's my line. I thought that would be hilarious. So I put that in and that happens right in the middle of the book. Mm -hmm. And I had to think about, well, how do I get Little Red to the pig's house? And once I figured that out, and then we went forward from the little pig's house to the rest of the book. And the little pig's house isn't like a big plot point. It's just the point where she finally meets the wolf who ultimately becomes her skating partner. Spoiler alert! (laughs) Spoiler alert. (laughs) That was kind of cool. Starting in the middle, going back to the beginning and and going to the end. 
it depends upon how I have thought about this story in my head. I definitely do not have to go in linear order. And final quick round question. Are you an extrovert or an introvert? I am an extroverted introvert. Have you ever heard of such a thing? (laughs) Yeah, actually, a lot of people say that. (laughs) Okay, because I have done the test a million times, and I always wind up right on the cusp. I definitely enjoy my alone time. I am definitely problematic when I go to a party. (laughs) I never liked parties in my 20s, and I couldn't figure out why. I finally figured out that I'm kind of a bit of an introvert when it comes to parties. I really don't want to talk to people. I want to go into the other room with the people's pets, (laughs) right? I want to sit and pet their dog and play with their dog and pet their cat. And I want to do that. I don't necessarily want to talk to people because usually people don't get me unless they're also writers or creative people. So I'm on the cusp. I'm really, really comfortable in front of an audience. So, you know, when I do school visits or I do any kind of presentation at a conference, I'm really, really comfortable. I like being in front of an audience. But at a party with people who aren't creative, I will just fall asleep in the other room. Have you ever done any like acting or anything? I have. Yeah. Funny you should ask. (laughs) (laughs) When I was a teenager, I was very much into acting. I was a drama nerd. You know, I took lessons. I took improv lessons. I really enjoyed that. And I was in the school play all throughout high school and had leading roles. And then I directed my senior year production. And then when I got to college, this is interesting. I tried out for a play, and the play was Lysistrata, which is a Greek play, and it's about the women withholding sex from the men so they will stop warring with each other. And I go in for the audition, and the director asks me, do you have a problem with nudity on stage? And I'm like, oh, no, that's okay. You know, I have... And I thought he was asking me as an audience member. (laughs) Like I have no problem going and seeing nude people on stage. That's fine with me. I'm not, you know, I'm not a prude. I will look at naked people on stage. No, he was asking me if I would get naked on stage. And then I was like, no way. Ah!" And I basically ran out of the audition and I never auditioned for anything ever again. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. It destroyed my acting career. I always figured, though, when I got to be an old lady, that I would play an old lady on TV and I'd be like one of those character actresses and just show up in every sitcom on a very special episode. Yeah, so I always wanted to do that. And I still have time. You know, if there's any casting directors out there that want to call me up, you know, hey, I'm game. There you go. (laughs) Yes, you have a theatrical air about you. (laughs) (laughs) yes i'm I'm also very loud i know how to project to the last row that's what my my director in in high school kept saying my my teacher in high school is like you want to project so that someone who's in the you know nosebleed seats can hear you definitely they can always hear me so the show is called queries qualms and quirks you didn't really have a query but i am guessing you had some qualms so what were some of the worries that you had on your publishing journey and 
Were they realized? Did you overcome them? How did they shake out? I'm always worried whether or not a book will be in the nationwide bookstore chain because I feel like that is how people get to know them, get to know that your book is there. If it's not there, it may as well not exist. Now, I know there are very bookish people online who are very well aware of what books are coming out, what books are out there, what books are available. But I think the general public is kind of like, well, I'll go to the bookstore and see what they have. Mm -hmm. And if you're not there, they wouldn't know you from Adam. So I always am very concerned whether or not I'm going to get some kind of nationwide distribution because I think that's important for the sales of my books. It's not a death sentence if it's not, mm -hmm. okay? Because there are other ways to sell a book. And in fact, Little Red Gliding Hood, which was not in the bookstores at first, eventually did get in the bookstores because it became popular. And it's going to be made, hopefully, into a paperback version. So it's oh. sold well over the years. It's like a staple of the winter season. So I've had great success with that book. But yeah, that is always a worry. So you have mentioned that you are quirky, but we're going to talk specifically about your writing process. Is there anything about your writing process that you think is kind of interesting or different or unique? I don't know. I think everybody's writing process is unique to themselves. And I tell this to authors or aspiring authors all the time. I said, write as much as you can and find out what works for you. Because what works for me is not necessarily going to work for you. I mean, I remember seeing this article that was sent out one time which, with a bunch of famous writers and how they scheduled their writing time. You know, like so-and-so wakes up at 5 a.m. and writes until lunch and then has a two-hour lunch break and a nap and then goes back to writing for the rest of the day. And it had like clocks and it, it showed everybody on these schedules. And I'm like, I don't have any kind of writing schedule. I don't do that. I don't like that. I have never liked having a day that's scheduled in the same way day after day after day. It's like I abhor any kind of routine. I am not a routine person. The fact that I don't have a schedule is kind of quirky because from what I'm reading, everybody has a schedule. And I also think a lot before I sit down to write. So that by the time I write the first draft, it comes out pretty quickly. And I think you can only do that with picture books. You're not going to do that with a novel, of course, because <laughs> you'd be sitting and thinking for a very, very long time. But I will take weeks and months while I'm just, you know, a project is germinating in my mind, you know, and I'm waiting for it to sprout. I'm waiting for myself to feel comfortable enough to start a write it. it just it's just a feeling I get that overcomes me and I'm like all right you have to sit down and write this now enough thinking thinking time is done let's get the writing done there's still surprises that come out in my writing of course I haven't thought of every little thing but I have to go through that process of thinking it through first and not jumping into my seat the second I think of an idea, which is what I used to do at the very beginning of my career. I would think of an idea, 
boom, I'm going to go write this. And I didn't stop to think about it first. And I think that was my main mistake. One of the questions I usually ask is, uh, what is one of the biggest mistakes that you made along the way? But you just answered that. I just answered. Yeah, perfect. Um, I didn't understand that you could write without writing a single word down on a piece of paper. You could still write. You've got, you know, you're, you're trying to formulate the story in your head and the chronology. And does it logically make sense? Because even though you're talking about a monster, for instance, and they don't exist, the story still has to make logical sense. So when you were kind of in the lowest parts of your journey, when you were writing those books that you say now aren't very good, uh, what kept you going and why did you stick to it? What else am I going to do? Really? (laughs) I mean, what else am I qualified to do in life? Am I going to go back to high-tech marketing? No freaking way, man. That was boring. Oh, my God. What else am I going to do? There's nothing else for me to do. This is the only job I'm qualified for. So, yeah, that's what made me stick to it. (laughs) Can you share with listeners one of the most important lessons you learned on your journey that you'd like to share with them? I think it's what I said before. I think that everybody has their own writing quirks and everybody has their process that is unique to them. And it's really important to figure out how you work best Mm -hmm. and to keep that going. Because what works for someone else may not necessarily work for you. You may be a morning person. I don't know why you would wake up at 6 (laughs) a.m., but you might like it. And you might want to write then. You might feel really creative then. It doesn't work for me, but, you know, it may work for you. Give it a try. Yeah, don't necessarily listen to somebody else's advice if it doesn't jibe with you, you know? Mm Mm-hmm you got to figure out your own journey. You know, sure, there are certain rules for writing and there are like, you know, 500 words for a picture book manuscript. There are certain general guidelines that you could stick with, but everything else is up for grabs. You know, everything else, figure it out on your own. Keep writing and keep writing new stories. Yeah. The mistake that I see is somebody peddling the same story year after year after year, thinking that somehow it's going to hit. It may, but put it away and work on something new. I have lots of stories that just never got picked up. And, you know, you have to say goodbye to them. (laughs) They live in your computer forevermore. And, and no one else gets to see them. But sometimes you can take a piece from that story mm-hmm. and use it in a new story, which is something that I have done a lot of times. I've taken a scene or something funny that happened in one book and I've just moved it to another one because that book didn't sell for whatever reason. The time wasn't right. The subject wasn't right. Whatever. And I've moved on. And I want people to know it's okay to move on. Mm -hmm. You know, bigger and better things are waiting for you. All right. So I call this the acknowledgements portion of the podcast. This is not a business that most of us succeed in completely on our own. So did you have any people or organizations who helped you along the way? First and foremost, I must thank my husband for actually keeping a roof over our head and dinner on the table. (laughs) Because... (laughs) 
I could have never have done this had I not had another source of income. I would like to thank my children, but they're a pain in the neck when it comes to my writing because <laughs> they always disturb me. And then when I get a new book, they're like, oh, that's nice. Goodbye. I'm going to my friend's house to go swimming. <laughs> See ya. They don't care. I'd like to acknowledge my critique group and critique partners, of which there are many, because besides my group, I trade with individual people like Josh Funk and Heidi Stemple. They are two of my go-to readers and critiquers. My agent, of course, Joan Paquette. I wouldn't even be here without her. She's amazing. We've been together 11 years, which I know is rare that we've stayed together for so long. I'm also married to my husband for 22 years. So, you know, maybe I'm just good with long relationships. Yeah. Who knows? Who else along the way has helped me? I am sure there are countless people <laughs> that have helped me, but I feel like when you're up for an Academy Award and you're standing there and you're like, oh my God, oh, I don't know who to thank. And then they rattle off 200 names. I'd like to thank you because <laughs> you're interviewing me. That's so great. <laughs> no one's ever thanked me before in this part. Oh, yay! I thank you. I'd like to thank my cat, Phoebe, who is oh, yeah. now I've woken up with my squeal. Constant companion. Yeah, she is sitting beside me every day now. I've had her since January, and we're now at the end of May. So, yeah, she is really stuck by me through the tough times, right, Phoebe? Can you tell us about your latest release? I would love to. This is the one book whose title did not come first. The title of this book is Bloop. Like, how, how is that a title? Yes, it's the name of the character. And the character is an alien who looks like a green pug. And he is sent down to Earth because he has failed so badly at emperor school at his own planet. The current emperor sounds him to Earth and says, if you can rule that crazy planet, then you can come back and rule ours. And when he lands on Earth, who does he think is in charge that he has to take over? The dogs. Because we feed dogs, we walk dogs, we pet dogs, we even buy dogs tutus. And more importantly, we pick up their poop. Mm. So of course they're in charge. So Bloop comes down to earth. He tries to take over the dogs. And then you have to see what happens. All right. But it was originally titled Alien in the Doghouse. <laughs> and my publisher thought that was a terrible title. And I agreed with them. It was terrible. And we decided to just call it Bloop after the main character. Sounds fun. All right, Tara, thank you so much for coming on the show today. I really appreciate you sharing your story. Thank you for having me. It's been so much fun. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Queries, Qualms, and Quirks. You can find more information about Tara and her books in the show notes. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Podchaser. Tell your friends or share this episode on social media. And if you're interested in supporting the show, go to patreon.com slash pubtalklive. If you're a published author interested in being a guest on the show, click on the home base link in the description or go to sarahnicholas.com 
and click on the podcast logo in the sidebar. That is Sarah with an H and Nicholas with no H. Thank you so much for listening and we'll see you next time. If you're enjoying this show, please check out Pub Talk Live. Pub Talk Live is a publishing talk show broadcasting live to YouTube every second and fourth Saturday at 9 p.m. Eastern, but it is also syndicated as a podcast. Agent Chat Live is a spinoff of Pub Talk Live that features casual chats with literary agents with the intention of helping writers get to know the agents a little bit better. Check out both on YouTube or the podcast app of your preference.